Welcome Carter and Jared Spawn to episode number 34 of the Path to Fall podcast. Thank you guys so much for coming in. This is the first three people on the same podcast episode, first father-son episode, so I'm really excited to try to figure out how this works and how to talk to both of you guys at the same time and get your stories and hear more about your connection with Gilman today. So thanks very much. Yeah, Carter's mom's been trying to do the same thing for the past 17 years. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, so, Jared, maybe we can start out with, with you a little bit and, and talk to you about your experience at Gilman. And uh, I know Gilman means a lot to you. You're one of the first people who really reached out to, to me after watching one of the episodes. I think it was... Justin Baker's episode when we were talking about meditation and you were like, how do we get Carter into some meditation? I tried to bring it up in, in <laughs> class uh, a couple times, but I'm not sure if you've gotten there yet, Carter, trying try no, it out a little bit. Yeah, I, I know I need to. It's just like, I don't know, I've been busy. I haven't had time. But... Yeah, got to make some time there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I should. It's it's definitely, um, I read up a lot about it and it seems like a very worthwhile thing to do, so... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it has helped me a lot, just especially now with always the screen in our faces all day long, yeah. just to get away, whether it's yeah sitting in a quiet room or taking a walk, it's almost necessary at this point, because I'm sure you have some screen fatigue being, you know, in front of that thing all day. Yeah, I, I do. Um, actually, I bought some, some blue light glasses. I don't know if you know what those are yep. to, to help me out. My eyes are hurting, so... It's uh, definitely need a break. Yeah. yeah, are those doing doing much for they you? They actually do. They they work like surprisingly well. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like just getting out of your chair and, and taking time off the screen is important. It's something that I definitely need to improve on. I think as he'll tell you. But yeah, he also said yeah. that you you have the music going while you're doing your homework. Mm -hmm. He was like, yeah, I I'm always someone that is like multitasking, and, and so I. I have like a two monitor setup. So when I was in ninth grade, I um, I built my own computer, my own desktop. And so I have like a, a two monitor setup. I always have one thing on one monitor, one thing on the other, which is a little bit ridiculous, but I don't know. That's just how I work. It's efficient though. I mean, I have, it this, is I have a monitor too, and yeah. I didn't have one last year and it's a game changer because, yeah. I don't know, just looking at the tiny laptop screen is, it's, it's straining on you a little bit and then having, you know, something else to move your head around a little bit. I don't know. It makes a little bit of a difference, I would say. Yeah, it, it's nice. It's a nice thing to have. So, so Jared, um, thank you for that email, by the way. I appreciate you watching the, the podcast and uh, I've watched a bunch of them. Yeah. They've been awesome. Yeah. They've been really good. Yeah, well, it's been a lot of fun to talk to our teachers and coaches and, as you said, people in Carter's life um, on these episodes. But maybe we can start out with you and – Thinking back to your time as a student at Gilman, what what types of things were you involved with here, and maybe what what memories maybe come to mind about this place? Wow, there there's a lot, um, and I think I would take up the whole episode if I tried to go through everything. But um, I came here as a ninth grader, um, and never really knowing that Gilman even existed. Um, my father had gone to boys Latin and um, when I was in middle school he said you know maybe you'd like to go to, to private school for high school and I, I only knew that there were three private schools in the entire world I knew boys Latin from him 
there were some kids in my neighborhood. I grew up in Columbia, Maryland, who went to McDonough. And then there was a school out there, Glen Out Country School. And um, my dad said, well, we've got one or two other schools I'm going to have you take a look at. And one is Gilman. And I instantly fell in love with it the moment I stepped on campus. In fact, it was the only school I even applied to. Um, if I had known how difficult it was, I, I think I would have um, <laughs> you know, maybe applied to some other schools. Um, but uh, I, I stepped on campus and just uh, found the world open to me. Um, and so things that I was involved with, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in the school motto of, of um, you know, the mind, body, and spirit. So obviously took advantages of what I could from the academic standpoints. Um, got a great advisor, uh, Tim Holly, who's still here today. Um, and, and when I finally did the math a few years ago when Carter was getting ready to, to enter the upper school, um, I think I realized he, he was only 27 when he became my advisor. And now here I am 47 years old. And, and you, you, know, you think through some of those things and, uh, and hopefully um, I get to talk some more about that. But I, I also got involved, um, I played a number of different sports. Um, never really excelled at any of them but uh, enjoyed uh, the camaraderie and the teamship. And then I also got involved in a lot of student activities, which I know Carter's been really strong with here as well, um, in particular student government. Um, Gilman was a part of a both city and statewide student government organization. Um, and I got very involved with those. One was the Associated Student Congress of Baltimore City, which I think I held two positions on. And then the other was the it was called the Maryland Association of Student Councils, of which I became the my senior year the president of all of the non-public schools in the state of Maryland. So got involved in a lot of things here. Was government something that you were interested in maybe getting involved with after um, after graduating from Gilman in college? Because I know you studied public policy at, at, in college, and you were involved with a lot of government organizations in high school. Was government something that you were looking to to pursue down the line? Yeah, so um, in the Gilman yearbook, they they do a write-up, or they used to do, of the 25th reunion and where everyone would be in the 25th reunion. And uh, so I got to look back at it a few years ago, and, and it said that you know I was going to be president of the United States. And <laughs> I, I was I was really interested in politics um, when I was younger. Um, so while at Gilman, I was actually a page in the U.S. Senate. Um, I was appointed by Robert Dole, um, former uh, minority leader of the Senate from Kansas, and had some just unbelievable experiences as a Senate page. Um, and one that Carter's heard me tell a lot about is I happened to be right off the Senate floor on, I think it's August the 2nd, 1990, which is when um, Iraq invaded Kuwait. And there was a wire, we had these wire services, this is pre-internet, um, these wire services, the UPI and AP wires that would go and you'd cut off the wire when they got long enough and hang them on the wall. And I just happened to be there as that, that news story was typing out. So. I fell, you know, I really fell in love with politics, um, took a semester off of college, worked for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, um, and then also for um, uh, a senator from North Carolina. 
for two summers. And uh, when I was graduating from WNL, um, I did think that I was going to get into politics. And I thought, well, might I'm going to do something first before I go down to the hill for the rest of my life. Um, and I became a history and government teacher at a private school down in South Carolina. And I um, uh, will fully admit my government class was completely plagiarized from my ninth grade Jerry Thornberry U.S. government <laughs> class, and he knew it, so, so I had his permission. Um, I mean, literally taught the same books that he taught, um, uh, but life took me in another direction, and um, I didn't follow a further path into politics. Um, got into real estate development and construction, but um, it was definitely it was a passion of mine when I was younger. I definitely want to get to real estate and construction and talk to you a little bit about that. But I'm interested because Carter was in my leadership and literature class this fall, and he's mentioned to me that that you taught for a little bit in South Carolina. And I'm I'm curious about that year teaching Jerry Thornberry's syllabus and and maybe how you got involved in teaching for that year and what what that was like for you. Sure. Well, it's it, you know a little bit of it goes back to Gilman in in a way that will make sense. Um, so in 1990, I was entering my senior year and this invasion had occurred. And for my class, we kind of all realized we were turning 18. And this was the first major conflict that had occurred, um, in, obviously in our lifetime and, and you know, for beyond that. And we, there was discussion in our senior room, you know, is, is the draft going to come back? Um, so I was voted class conservative in my class, and the class socialist was a great guy named A.J. Julius, whose, whose father, Peter Julius, was on the history faculty here for a long time, my fresh soft football coach. Um, and A.J. posed the question to our class, you know, service to your country doesn't just have to be military. Service to your country can also be things like teaching. And so when I was um, when I was coming to the end of, of my college career and trying to decide, you know, maybe I'm not going to do politics, I thought about maybe the military uh, as an option. Um, and I had a, a, a member of my um, wrestling team at WNL who was Canadian, and he was in the Marines in order to get his U.S. citizenship. And he told me that, uh, that I probably was not made out to be in the military. So I said, wow, I can remember A.J. Julius <laughs> saying, well, you can do service for your country by being a teacher. So um, I, I went into the library uh, at, and, at college and just got a list of schools on the East Coast and just started sending out letters and... Um, Eventually, there was uh, a head of an upper school at this school in South Carolina um, who had been a WNL alum, and they had an opening in the history department, which is not very often in, in secondary schools that you find openings in history departments. So I got lucky, um, and I went down for a year, and I taught 7th, 11th, and 12th grade history and government. Um, so I taught South Carolina history. Um, my mother's family's from Charleston, South Carolina, so it wasn't you know a far stretch. 
taught 11th grade U.S. history and then a 12th grade government class. Um, and uh, I loved every moment of being with the students, which I'm sure is something that you've, you know, the, a passion that you've um, uh, found as well. Uh, and I'm still in touch with a couple of my students um, through social media, which has been really, really awesome. Um, That's pretty cool. And I know how difficult it is to come into the classroom. Like you just graduated from college and you were teaching 11th and 12th grade. And that's, it's definitely not easy, even if you have this built out syllabus and, you know, you had some mentorship maybe, but it's, you're so close in age that it's, it's a little challenging, especially that first year, I'd say. So Jake, it was even harder. I had nothing. I had no built in syllabus. I mean, I, it's not like I went to Dr. Thornberry and said, can you please hand me everything? I just still had my books from his class that oh, I had taken okay. freshman gotcha. year. So I, was, I kind of built it around what, what we had done my freshman year. Um, and then, you know, going into a classroom of 17 and 18 year olds, um, it, it, was, it was tough. Um, but it was another Gilman teacher who I kind of put myself in the mindset of, <clears throat> which was a, a, a just another master teacher. His name was Nick Schloeder. Carter actually had his son as his fifth grade teacher here at Gilman. And Mr. Schloeder was just a no-nonsense guy. Um, and you just instantly respected the man. And I just I just put myself in the mindset of, you know, how am I going to earn their respect um, and and really prove myself that I'm going to, I'm going to give them something that's valuable. Now, it was crazy. The very first paper um, that my U.S. history class did, and I did history a little bit different than traditionally. I felt that my students really probably didn't have an understanding of what's going on in the modern world. So we started from Sputnik and came forward. Um, and so our first term paper, which was late September, early October, was on Vietnam. Um, which were subjects that I never even got to in U.S. history. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy that I did it that way. And then we went all the way back to Native Americans. But um, so you know, I tried to explain to, to this class like how to do a bibliography and you know, what's going to be expected when you reach college because these were co you know, kids who were applying. And they, they literally told me that I had no idea what I was talking about. I'm like, wait a second, I just finished four months ago. It's like, I, I know what you need to have in college. So, so it was interesting, you know, having those kids. I think I enjoyed my seventh graders a little bit more because of something. Um, and, and this is a gentleman, if you could ever get on this podcast, Bill Green was a longtime teacher administrator here who, um, when we did our, our history reports on famous Americans in we took U.S. we took U.S. history and I think in 11th grade um, here I did my report on Mr. Green um, and when he was getting close to retirement I asked him what do you plan to do you've got all these advanced degrees are you going to teach at it was Stevenson at that time it was called Villa Julie he goes no 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 I don't want to teach college students I go oh we're going to teach some AP classes in the upper school he goes no 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 I'm not going to teach in upper school. I go, well, how are you going to end your career? He goes, I want to end my career as a middle school teacher. And I was like, whoa, I was a horrible person. I mean, I was a terrible human being in middle school. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? And he goes, look, the kids in middle school are smart enough that they can understand complex ideas, but don't 
pretend like they know it all already. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed my seventh graders. My mother had been a middle school math teacher also. Um, I really enjoyed those seventh grade kids um, and probably follow them from afar more than I follow some of the kids who are my juniors and seniors. Um, but it, it was it was a really good experience and I'm, I'm really happy that I did it. Yeah, that's something that I have thought about before too. Teaching middle school was something that I wasn't interested in at all. I was like, I, I don't want to teach middle school kids. Like they're crazy, they're running around, they're probably not going to listen. But I've observed some of the classes here at Gilman, the middle school classes, and it's it's amazing because I, I would say I agree completely with what you said. They're, they're engaged and they can understand these ideas just okay. from my observing. And they're smart. They, they have ideas of their own that are pretty fresh. And even in my observations, I've learned a lot from, from the middle school. So I think that's a misconception on my part, too, at some points is, Middle school would be, and they have so much energy too, those middle school guys. I I agree. And one of my classmates, Donnell Thompson, is a middle school teacher here at Gilman. Um, And I'm I'm jealous. You know, it's, I think if I had gone in strictly as a middle school teacher, I probably would have done it for a little while longer. Um, I don't think I'm the right type of person to have been a lifetime teacher. I don't think that I have the patience mm-hmm. that it really takes to, to be um, a teacher. But um, I, I just think that that's just such a great age if you're an educator. As a parent, as you know, maybe as a child, maybe not the best years, but um, certainly as an educator and, and, and at a place like Gilman where these kids are just so smart. I, I mean, I, I can remember uh, meeting Carter's um, uh, sixth grade history teacher, Mr. Jones, Andre Jones, another unbelievable master teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just sitting there. I, it was the beginning of the school year and he's telling me what he talks about. And he, he's going to talk about like, what's, what's really a national border. And I'm like, Whoa, you're going to talk to sixth graders about, I mean, that's a really in-depth idea. And he's, I've been doing this for years. He's like, it's the most interesting conversation you ever had. So I, I think that, um, if you know, if I had had a few more middle school classes, I might have stuck it out a little bit longer. Um, and um, but look, getting to be the father of an upper schooler, I mean, this kid's a hundred times smarter than I ever was, <laughs> and it's just incredible the conversations that we have. Um, and and so <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe if I had a bunch more Carters, maybe I would have. I would enjoy it a little bit more too. So Carter, I'm I'm curious from hearing your dad's story about how he got to do what he's doing right now. Um, yeah. And he described his experience in, in politics in high school and maybe his interest in politics in college a little bit too, teaching. You're now a senior at Gilman. It's been a weird year for sure. But are there certain things that you're really interested in or particularly interested in that you think you might want to pursue in college and, and try out, like your dad tried out a couple different things in his um, start to his career? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that kind of my interest heavily reflect my extracurriculars at the school, um, you know, which we briefly talked about, but I, I, start and, um, I started and run my own uh, investment club at Gilman. Um, so we teach the student body on investments. Um, we're the only investment class in the upper school. 
so we're pretty proud of that. I'm pretty proud of the work we've done there. And so I think stemming from that, I'm fairly interested in going into uh, to finance as a major, uh, but I don't really see myself on, um, on Wall Street or trading with hedge funds, that type of thing. Um, you know, <laughs> conveniently enough, I, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to do, uh, you know, as, as I grow older. And, and politics is something that, that has been consistently on my mind, Can, you know, I guess kind of ironically. Uh, you know, I, I might be the, uh, the politician that, you know, he never got around to be. But, um, yeah, I, it's something that I, I feel like the more I think about it, the more passionate I am. Um, sort of like making sure that this country is, is a better place. I, I'm a firm believer in um, wherever you go, you have to leave it as, as a better place than when you came into it. Um, and, and hopefully my work at, at Gilman you know, over a lot of different activities has, has done that. Um, but yeah, politics is something I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to talking to you about where your interest in politics maybe originated, but I'm also interested yeah. in, in your finance club yeah. here and and how you got that idea to start the the is it called the finance club it's called the gilman investment society gilman investment society all right so you run that you're you're the head of that yes. club where did that interest start oh man so uh i guess i kind of have to attribute um my interest at least to, to my grandmother uh back when i was i was younger probably like nine ten she would give me stocks as, as a birthday present instead of you know uh, a, a toy um, and, and so I always had a knowledge of like kind of what a stock was I didn't really know anything about like how they were traded like what, what was going on about that but um, I, I knew what it was and and so when I um, entered seventh grade there was a a quarter elective um, on investing um, and so I, I really enjoyed that I really enjoyed looking up um, companies granted I didn't know really anything about how to analyze them or anything like that. I just like, oh, I think that Hershey's makes good chocolate bars, so I'm gonna buy Hershey. Uh, and, and so I, I liked it from there. And then uh, we took a tour um, in between my eighth and ninth grade year, uh, so over the summer um, at his alma mater, Washington and Lee, and they have a super successful student-run uh, investment portfolio. Uh, the students manage, I believe it's around $11 million of the school's endowment. And so they kind of proposed the idea of, you know, why don't you try to start something like that at Gilman? And so when I entered high school uh, and I immediately saw there was really no um, further pursuits uh, in, you know, investing that I could take, uh, I thought to myself, you know, it's something that uh, needs to be at the school. And so I might as well be the person to bring it to it. Wow, that's pretty ambitious as a ninth grader to start a, start a new club with investments that had never before been something that guys could sign up for and participate in here at, at Gilman. Um, what what types of things, when you guys meet as a club, what do you guys do? What do you discuss? How do you recruit guys and let them know that this is a, an option for them? Yeah, so we kind of go from the very basics of, you know, what is a stock? Uh, what is the stock market to, you know, now we're up to uh, analyzing financial statements. So we just did a review of income statements and balance sheets, which um, for those, I guess, listening that, that don't know what those are, it's one of them, the income statement essentially talks about the company, the money the company made. Um, and the balance sheet kind of goes over what the company owns and what it owes. Uh, and so we're gonna move on to uh, the last financial statement, which is cash flow. We're gonna go into analyzing companies. 
um, the process of investing, you know, um, I, I think I might want to do my own um, charting lesson, um, which is like how you read charts. Uh, it's something I've, I've been thinking about doing. We haven't had that in the curriculums over the past years, but uh, it's something that I've become more interested and more knowledge about, knowledgeable about recently. Yeah. And, and where do you get all of your knowledge about these um, these ideas or investment um, information that they aren't taught to you in class. Like no one is teaching this to you at school. Is this all on your own? And, and how do you learn more about investment so that you can relay the information to the guys in your club? Yeah. So I think from a variety of different sources, uh, over my freshman to sophomore year summer, uh, I met with um, Mr. Furlong uh, with a group of guys that were going to help me run the, the club. And he gave us a list of things that, you know, we needed to, to look into, like books, stuff like that. And so I ended up reading a bunch of these really good books, um, that, like really good introduction books, kind of talking about, like, you know, basics of the market, basic, like, investment principles, concepts. Um, and from that, I ended up watching a ton of Khan Academy videos. And then really the best way that I've, I've been able to learn is just through practical investing, right? So whether that be a mock portfolio or a real one. Um, for, for my bar mitzvah, uh, my parents gave me a TD Ameritrade account um, with $1,500 on it. I really didn't touch it up until about May of, of last year. And so I'm up like, I think since then, I think around 500% on it, um, making a, a bunch of, of nice long-term trades, uh, you know, and, and I, that has taught me so much more um, than just, you know, sitting down and just watching a video of some guy on a screen that was recorded five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my goal is to, you know, gather as much information as possible and put it in the most digestible form I can um, for people that want to come and, and to the club that day and to listen to and learn, hopefully. What kind, what kind, that's impressive, by the way, but um, what, what, what types of guys do you think might be interested in in joining the club and if you had to recommend what you guys do to the student body right how how would you pitch to guys that hey you should come come to this club it's going to be worth it for you you're going to learn a lot how would you maybe um, pitch your club to people yeah so basically I would just say uh, money management is something that everyone needs to learn about Um, I'm a firm believer in that um, and unfortunately, you know, America's educational system and, and also here at Gilman, you know, we, we don't do it justice, right? We really don't teach um, uh, our students uh, enough about things that everyone has to learn about uh, growing up, whether that be taxes or, um, you know, savings. And so I think if, if anyone's really interested in, um, in money management, right, you know, taking something that you, a small portion of your paycheck and, and growing it to hopefully at one point um, another source of revenue, right? That's something that is, is super cool. It, it helps build um, generational wealth, uh, hopefully in the long run, which is, I think, everyone's long-term goal, really, is to leave something behind for their kids. Um, and I guess that that's really hard to think about as a, as a teenager, right? Um, but it, it's something that really you can't get started on um, early enough. Excellent. Well, um, I hope some more guys come out to your club, the investment club, and take, help take over when you go to college next year so you can leave that yeah. behind here at Gilman and we can see how your work has grown. And um, it's pretty impressive and a cool thing that you're doing for the school. So, yeah. um, 
I do want to get to maybe talking about some influences on both of you guys in your time at Gilman. Some we talked a little bit about Coach Holly, your advisor. Um, talked about some of your teachers that made an impact on you. But when you think back to your time at Gilman, what do the teachers and coaches and faculty and staff here have, and how did they impact you? You know, in your senior year now, but really in your whole time at Gilman. We can maybe start with Carter and go to Jared next. <laughs> so uh, I have definitely had some some huge influences um, in my life coming from Gilman. I think two guys I think of off the top of my head were my middle school advisor, um, Mr. Wallace, uh, and uh, Mr. Jones, who was my sixth grade history teacher that he just mentioned. I mean, both um, incredible people genuinely um, inspired me to want to learn more. And I think that's really the best thing a teacher can do, is right to inspire their students to learn more outside of the classroom. Um, and you know the demeanor that they presented themselves in and taught the class um, always made it super interesting. Uh, Mr. Wallace, as an advisor, was a, a great mentor, um, a great person to look up to. Um, you know, he does a lot of really cool things. Uh, he's someone that I think you should have on the podcast. He does his own. He's this Wally GPX thing. Where I he just makes, heard about that. Yeah. Very interesting. He makes art um, by riding his bicycle around uh, Baltimore City, which is super cool. Um, on, on the... On the app, right? Because you track yourself, and he and he does designs yeah. with his with his bike rides. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he like he uh, he like draws them out with a pencil, and then he'll like uh, hit record on some app, and then actually bike the entire thing, and it comes out with some art piece, which is is really cool. Yeah, very unique. Yeah, really unique. Um, and I, I think that that kind of idea of um, maybe you know innovation or doing something that hasn't really been done before is. Uh, I, I would attribute, you know, as an inspiring source for me, um, kind of like going into upper school, um, specifically with my investment club, but then also some other extracurriculars that I'm, I'm president of. Uh, I'd say in the upper school, um, Mr. Schmick has been um, just such a great, uh, I guess, guide um, and just someone that is, is genuinely nice to talk to. Um, he... Uh, is really the, the person that runs clubs as like a faculty person mm -hmm. for the school. And so I've worked with him a lot there. Um, I also took his English class in ninth grade. Uh, and so he's just, he's a great guy and he's definitely been inspiring to me. And so I think that uh, the more teachers that I have here, the more people that I look up to, right, uh, it, my memory of Gilman, even presently, grows a lot stronger in, in how much I appreciate so much that it's done for me. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. I'm sure that appreciation is even stronger this year since it's not a typical year. We're not in the classroom. I know I've really missed, especially recently, just being in the room with yeah. with students and the other faculty members and teachers here and learning from them like, like you spoke about. Um, Jared, any names or advisors or people who, and I'm sure there are a ton, there's a long yeah. list, but, but any specific... Um, attributes of the teachers here at Gilman that that rubbed off on you maybe in your time can I tell a John Schmick story first for sure so um, so Carter's John Schmick uh, was in the lower school when I was in the upper school and his father was Dean of students and John had a classmate whose brother older brother was in my class and 
we used to have a really nice senior room um, and that senior room the windows looked out to where sort of the um, uh, statuary garden is now off the first floor coming out of the upper school I think it's now you had uh, music art and history. art history and uh, yep. Mr. Christian had so that that was one big room that was our senior room and one day John Schmick and his friend try to sneak into the senior room now I don't know how it is here today, but you know, in my day, you didn't go in the senior room unless you were a senior. Um, and so um, they tried sneaking in and I got um, the older Mr. Schmick, um, used to be famous, he'd have these post-it notes that he would put into your box. And it was either a see me or see me fast. And you knew if you were in trouble, it was a see me fast post-it note. Everything was okay if it was a see me. So I got a, next day I get a see me note. I'm going to myself, oh man, I'm probably in trouble because I ran his son off out of the senior room. And uh, he, he, I go in to see him and he goes, look, um, I know the way these things work at the senior room. I'm a graduate here of Gilman. Um, I know younger kids aren't supposed to be going in there. And I don't want my son thinking that he can get away with things just because dad's the dean of students. So look, if you got to discipline him, <laughs> I'll look the other way. Now, if I knew his John Schmick was going to grow to be 6'6", six, six, you know, 250, I may not have <laughs> chased him out of the senior room. But, um, but it was a really, a really cool uh, memory that I had. But as far as, as teachers who had big influences on me... Um, I mean, it, it, it's got to start with our headmaster, Mr. Finney. Um, I mean, you just can't say enough about Mr. Finney. I, anything that you have ever heard about him is just 100% true. The, the man just lived it, it, just this mythical life uh, of just goodness and love and, and, and everything you ever wanted to be, um, you know, Mr. Finney was. Um, and, you know, he, he really, he, he looked out for me um, my four years here. I can remember the first parents' night. Um, my parents, you know, came in from Columbia, and Mr. Finney made a point to come over to my parents to say, look, if it snows and Jared gets stuck, he's welcome to spend the night at our house. And as a 14-year-old boy going, oh, no, I'm going to sleep over at the headmaster's house. I mean, I was terrified. But um, I, I would say I probably never would have gotten into WNL if it hadn't been for, for Mr. Finney and, and, and him looking out for me and, um, and really um, helping me gain confidence to succeed in everything that I did. Um, there, there were so many, you know, like I've already mentioned, Doc Thornberry just, just made me love being a student. Uh, uh, Mr. Schloter lo loved being a student. I loved... Um, uh, Bill McLean, who was a math teacher, I had him for two years. Just, just a guy who enjoyed uh, being a teacher and and being part of students' lives. Um, I had Ian Brooks his very first year here. Just you know, there's same thing. Just graduated from Hopkins, teaches our sophomore geometry class, right? Um, so the, I, I'm I'm almost embarrassed if I leave somebody out. So I don't want to you know. I don't want to go on and on, but but the lesson, the lessons that I think that Gilman taught me, 
um, really was something that they fortified or enhanced from, from what my parents taught me, which was you need to go through life. You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. And when you write that you did something on your honor, that's the most important thing that you can do in life. Um, and I've tried very hard to live my life um, that way. If I, if I give my word to somebody that I'm going to do something, um, I, my wife's an attorney. She's probably the only reason that I write contracts with, with people. I'd much rather shake hands mm -hmm. and come to an agreement. Um, but that was definitely uh, you know, it, it was something my parents um, thought was, was very important. And, and Gilman really uh, helped strengthen that resolve. That, that's, just, that's just the way that you need to live live your life love it so. um, and when you talk about mr. Finney we had Del Dressel he came on the latest podcast and he told a couple stories about mr. Finney one of them that sticks out to me and in addition to him just embodying what you're talking about of integrity and honesty and really the Gilman five um, but one of the stories that Dell told on the last episode was whenever he spoke and people were talking, everyone just quieted down and there was just total respect for the man. Um, and, and I'm sure that was the case the whole time you went through Gilman when Mr. Finney was the headmaster, was just total respect for him. Oh, and he earned every bit of it. Uh, again, the stories, you know, he had one or two suits that he wore. I always remember the gray, um, you know, plaid one. And the, true, the, the stories are true. His pockets would be full of trash. Because when he walked around, he saw trash, he picked it up. And so when you, when you saw, and, and it's something that I've brought into business, a little bit of that same philosophy is you never ask someone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. And there is nothing, I mean, Mr. Finney would, would change out a hot water heater just as much as he'd step into the classroom to substitute for a teacher. Um, there is nothing that that guy wouldn't do. And, and, and you know, I don't know if you know the story of um, at Princeton, uh, he was considered one of the greatest you know, offensive linemen that Princeton ever had. And Princeton's only ever um, Heisman Award winner was the quarterback that he protected. And so back then, the Blue-Gray All-Star game was forever the, the epitome of, of if you made it in college football, your invitation to that. And and he turned down his invitation to the Blue-Gray All-Star Game because he said he was behind on his senior thesis at Princeton. And that was something that was more important for him to work on. Um, and, and he's just, again, just a warm, loving person. And, and so he, he earned everybody's respect. And yeah, when he spoke, you listened because you also knew anything that he was saying to you, it was for your benefit. There was nothing for his benefit. He was only out there looking out for his students. So, just a, a great human. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm very sad. He ended up. He passed on my birthday, actually. Um, and uh, some of you know, very sad that that he's not around in the world anymore. But I can tell you, even years after I graduated from Gilman, he still knew my name, still recognized me by sight. And I think that there's just countless, countless young men who benefited from from having him as a part of their life. Absolutely, yeah, it's amazing, um, the stories about him. I'm, I'm also pretty interested in your 
fascination with history. It sounds like history was something that you were always somewhat into in high school and government and politics. Where did that start? And then I want to get to Carter because you also have a similar interest, it sounds yeah. like, in, in politics and history. So the history really, I, I just find it so interesting that people did things before us so well. And, and what I mean by that is, take the example, today uh, I got a, an email from a friend who's a state delegate down in Maryland and she had a bill that she wanted me to look over and, and it's like 80 some pages long, right? Just one single bill, really um, not of, of, of earth shattering importance. Um, and yet 250 years ago, a group of men wrote, what do we, constitutions, five pages, six, depends on the spacing and the size of the font, this structure that still um, today is the structure of our, our whole society here in America. And, and you can keep going back and, and just, you know, so we can go to, to Sigmund Freud, the, the father of modern psychiatry, but if you go back to the early philosophers, I mean, they were, they were still answering those same questions. So, so my, my interest in history is just my fascination of learning how these other people and just trying in some way to um, wish that, that I could have been a fly in the room to hear what, what was said. Um, I love uh, Carter's, Carter's mom, my wife loves the, the play Hamilton. And there's the one song, um, no one knows what happened in the room that day when it was the Cray Hamilton sat down with the, the governors of Maryland, Virginia to create the District of Columbia. And, um, you know, I, I just wonder what were these conversations like Da Vinci when he was, you know, sketching these things out, like what was going on in his head? Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful for modern technology, like this will be recorded, this will sit forever, right? I mean, it would have just been so cool to have been able. So that's my my um, interest in history and politics is more of like how did they do it, mm -hmm. um, and and now how do we kind of copy copy the same thing? Um, so, so I'm going to throw a quick question at you because this is a, this is a question that I use for icebreakers in classes sometimes, and it's a hard question to answer. But if you were and you could do the podcast one too. If you're doing a podcast, who would you have on? But if you were having dinner with two, three people from American history, maybe we could oh, stick from American with American history. history. Who do you think you'd want to talk to, pick their brains a little bit? Wow, that what a great question, and um, it's, that's a tough one to put me on the spot with. It is. It but, is. Um, so. Um, I think especially with what's going on in the world right now and something that Carter and I have a particular um, interest in, I think being able to talk to Martin Luther King Jr. would be fascinating to, to hear how, how he was able to organize and overcome and, and at least start things moving in the right direction. I mean, we still have so much that we need to do um, in America to, to make it a better place. But I certainly, um, I mean, he's certainly one that I would want to talk to. I feel like I should take one from different different pieces of history. Um, 
I would want to talk to James K. Polk, former president. And the reason is, when when Carter, in was it first grade? First grade, yeah. When they did the presidential parade, Carter was James K. Polk. So and you guys learned a lot about him. convinced me, yes. greatest president ever in the history of... Uh, <laughs> well, he's he's in the top rankings. When, the, when they come out with the rankings of the best presidents, yeah. he's up there. He's like six or seven, maybe, right? He... I don't know about ranking specifically, but what he did in just a four-year term um, is incredibly impressive. This yeah. expansion of the country, right? He ran on this uh, this idea of manifest destiny, um, and I think under his his four-year presidency, uh, U.S. Um, obtained land that ended up being I think 13 states, um, and he only ran for four years. He's the only president in American history that said, "I will only be president for one term." which I think is fascinating. Hmm. And there's a Gilman connection, actually, with James Polk. Um, so the upper school is Cary Hall, um, named after William Polk Cary. Um, so the, the Polks and Carys are, are uh, direct lineage. Oh, wow. So there is a little connection. In fact, uh, Bill Cary used to carry a uh, James Polk coin evidently oh, wow. in his pocket. And I didn't get to see him... Um, after Carter had been Polk, I would have asked to have seen the coin. But uh, there is a little little bit of a connection there. That's pretty cool. I did uh, not know that. The president's um, speeches thing that they do in first grade or the lower school is something that I think is really cool. That happened this week, actually. And uh, I don't know, because you learn, you learn a lot about these figures. And yeah. I've always been really into the presidents. Like I knew, I, I knew like presidential history and naming all the presidents in order when I was a little kid. And I think James Polk is a president who he doesn't get much press, but he really was one of one of the best. People say, yeah, in in the rankings. Um, and so, can I say so? Carter's, I think he did another paper about him, maybe in second grade from Miss Ferretti, and she has kept that paper like every. Every year or two, his second grade teacher um, gets in contact with this Jeannie Ferretti, who's, um, I think every one of Carter's teachers were the best ever. So just, <laughs> so I keep saying, I loved Miss Ferretti also. And um, she kept, I remember, maybe the last time we, she told us this, maybe when you were in ninth or 10th grade, she had kept this paper that he had done on James K. Polk in second grade. Um, so it's definitely something that stuck with him for Yeah, for I mean, it's, it's impressive that you... You were given James Polk for the presidential speeches in first grade, and then you wrote papers on him in second grade. Now you're a senior, and you're still spitting out facts about <laughs> yeah. the the manifest destiny. I wrote a, I wrote a whole paragraph um, as part of a history paper last year on him. So I yeah. uh, still think that he's a great president. Um, <laughs> if I had to pick uh, a couple of guys to sit down with from American history, easily top of my list. Excellent. So next time you think dad doesn't listen to you, now we've got proof forever. <laughs> I do listen. <laughs> so Carter, where did your interest in politics and these type of historical facts, did it start in, in first grade or has it been something that you've developed over your years at Gilman? Yeah, so um, I can't really say specifically when. If I had to guess... It probably would have been around the 2016 election. Obviously, that was a, a very uh, controversial one for an assortment uh, or a variety of different reasons. Um, but I, I think kind of from there, um, I, it kind of inspired me to learn a lot more about um, 
you know, policies, uh, issues. So if I would actually talk to people about things, I would be a little more educated on them rather than just say like, I like this color of the party or I like this party, you know, mm -hmm. um, which I personally find completely ridiculous uh, that there's a party system that people root for like teams, right? Mm -hmm. Like sports teams. That's uh, yeah, so so if I were to get into politics, I guess the and the reason I kind of am interested in getting into politics is to sort of modernize um, our government. I think that it ha really hasn't since been like updated to um, a point that it can properly be run out with the times since FDR, who is another person that I would very much want to sit down and have a conversation with because um, his policies that he implemented are still incredibly important uh, to this day. Um, the government agencies he's created. Uh, I think that there needs to be, um, at least for how the governments run, um, a new sort of like uh, update, if that makes sense. <laughs> I think about it a little bit from a, a tech term. Um, so I, I do like tech for the school, uh, would that be AV or I work for the tech office. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking about how you know, we have this this phone, like this thing that everything's running off of, and we haven't updated it for like 90 years now. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not going to be as productive as it could be. Um, and, and I think that starts with getting some more young people into office, personally. Yeah, I mean, I would I would tend to agree with that. And even though your dad was talking about how it's amazing that we're still we're still holding on from this document that was yeah. written, you know, 250 years ago. I think maybe what you're saying is true also. It's like, it's amazing and it's incredible that these men sat down and crafted this thing that still preserves us today. But it's also, maybe there are a few things that need to be updated to the times. So, yeah, I, I mean, the, the Constitution, you know, in itself was a little bit of an update uh, off of the Articles of Confederation, you know, which was our first attempt at a government and failed miserably, right? So I, I think that, the founding fathers had an idea right of you know this is what our country re needs right now but it, it obviously needs to, to grow and expand um, and, and I just think that you know for whatever reason um, we've kind of fallen a little behind on that uh, over the past you know 50 years and I, th I think it's time for you know regardless of, of policy uh, or political ideology to kind of step in and, and say you know um, it's time for things to be a little reorganized is what I would have to say. Yeah, rethought out maybe. Yeah. I like that. Maybe you're the, maybe you're the guy to do it. Who knows? Um, <laughs> um, I do want to ask you, Jared, a little bit about your current profession, what you do now, and how you got into real estate and construction, and maybe a few stories of how you um, manifested your destiny, to put it into <laughs> James Polk terms. Oh, yeah. Sure. So when when I decided um, teaching was going to be a one and done option, um, I thought about well, I, I thought I was going to come back and work on Capitol Hill. And my father had a client um, that was creating uh, a big development out in Columbia or in Howard County, and um, he said, you know, why don't you go meet with him and maybe try that one out for a year and how you know, you'll be 23 you ready to go to Capitol Hill at 23 there's nothing you know nothing in your way and so I called down to DC and said you know I know I'm gonna I 
asked you for a job when I graduated, and I asked for, but can I just delay one more year? And they said, they said no problem. Um, and so I went to work in, in real estate development in Howard County, and we were working on this big planned community, um, not as big as Columbia. Columbia's 14,000 acres, and um, uh, the project we were working on is called Waverly Woods, a little over 600 acres. And one of our actual, one of the investors in the project um, is a guy named Bruce Taylor, who's, class, who's valedictorian Gilman class of 68 with Mr. Schmick and uh, Sherm Bristow, who was my freshman English teacher, um, as well as being the athletic director. Um, and he has had two sons who have both graduated from Gilman, Ross and Marty. Um, and I just fell in love with the whole taking this sort of raw piece of land and building a community. Um, and, and just a few years into it, um, I was 25. I was getting married to my college sweetheart. And I went in to ask for a raise. And the guy who was my boss said, you know what, I think, think you're going to do much better as a partner with me in something than as uh, an employee. He said, so why don't you, if you want to start some sort of real estate company, I'll be your silent partner and we'll see how it goes. So I started uh, two companies. One was called First Real Estate Management, which um, manages homeowners associations and condominium associations. Um, and I ran that company on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then the other hours, I had a company we started called Old Town Construction, um, which started off doing historic renovation work in Ellicott City and then evolved one day the, um, the partnership that owned Waverly Woods, which is, gosh, it's, we're almost in our 26th, 27th year of development now. Um, and we're just in the last couple parcels. But this was early on and I was at one of their meetings and really my job was to bring the bagels. I brought, I, I went to the bagel shop, made sure that there were bagels and cream cheese for the meetings. And uh, they came to a part in the development where they had to do moderate income housing. And they looked around the table and, and these were three men who had done just incredible development projects. I mean, one of the families, if you go down to University of Maryland hospitals, the Homer Godelsky wing of the hospital. So we had the Godelsky family who had done Tyson's Corner Mall and Wheaton Plaza and all these incredible developments. And, and we had the Taylors who had done a ton of work in, in Ellicott City around their psychiatric hospital that they owned. And then uh, another guy, Kenard Warfield, who had longtime farmer um, from a very prestigious Warfield family. His great, great, great grandfather had been an early governor of Maryland. Um, and, uh, and none of them had ever done modern income housing. And so they just looked around the table and I'm taking some notes and making sure that there's enough bagels for everybody. And they go, Jared, we're gonna put you in charge of this project. And it ended up um, being a, um, the well, it is the very first LEAD, which is Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, um, privately constructed building in the state of Maryland. And it was a 102 unit senior apartment building. And um, I started the building right around when Carter was born. So I just turned 29, finished it 
right around the time his brother was born. So I was almost 33. Um, and I had never built anything like this in the state of Maryland, had never seen a green apartment building, especially one that was done for people of moderate income. And so at 33, Governor Ehrlich, another Gilman grad, he probably doesn't know that he did this, but I was named developer of the year by the um, Maryland Department of Housing and Community Development and um, did another project a few years later. I, got, I'm the, I think I'm the only person to be named it twice. Um, and, and so this idea of environmentally friendly construction just totally, totally caught everything that, that I was looking for. It just, it was, it was new, it was innovative, nobody had done it before, and it was something that I had to think through everything in the process. There was no blueprint of how this had been done. No one had, had done this stuff before. And I always, when I've given lectures about green housing and, and environmentally friendly housing, um, we, we have these trade magazines. And when I first started, the trade magazines would have like maybe two, three pages about green, about these environmentally friendly features. And now half of the publication is it. So, um, so I primarily build multifamily housing. Um, all of it is environmentally friendly um, for a multitude of reasons. I just think it's economically better for everybody and I think it's the right thing to do. And I think in the long run, it costs less to, to do environmentally friendly. Um, and uh, gosh, we build a couple hundred units each year. Um, Carter and his brother are investors in a couple of them. Um, and uh, it's just a, something that has fed into every passion I would ever have. So I, I'm still involved in politics, right? We still have to go in front of a planning board and zoning boards and get text amendments and building code modifications. So there's still wonderful interaction um, with, uh, uh, with, in, with politics and and it really circles back then to something that's very fundamental in my upbringing, which was where I grew up, um, I think shaped me and, and who I am as much as, as anybody, as anything else or anybody else did. So when you were given this responsibility at such a young age to do something that no one else had done before in terms of the green real estate, how, how did you educate yourself and figure out if the if the pages in the book where there are only two pages right how did you figure out how to make this happen it seems like the huge responsibility and you were young and yeah so so it started i mean it, it's not that was not the first thing that i ever built i had already started the construction company and i had built a couple of commercial buildings at that point done some single family homes and when i did my very first commercial building um there's a, a long story that goes to it, but basically by default, I ended up having to be the general contractor. And so I showed up on the job site every day with two dozen donuts. And if it was the guy digging the footers or the guy framing a wall, I got donuts, I got questions, and they, I just had no fear of asking. And I had no fear of, of saying, you know, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And so when you start off with your hypothesis, right, from early, and you, you know, you try to go through, you know, these different um, uh, subsects of, 
of how you can accomplish different things, um, you just you finally get to your conclusion. And so what I enjoy most, and this very much ties back to the history with, with green building, to me, green building is really bringing the buildings back to before we had all of these modern conveniences of electricity and heating and cooling, right? I mean, we want to use passive solar energy and, and, and passive ventilation, right? So there's my, again, my, my study of history. Well, how did they build houses before running water or before, you know, okay, well, they collected it in cisterns. And so, you know, you go back and you try to see how people did it before. Um, and they had to be much more efficient back then, as opposed to in the 70s when oil was cheap and you, know, you have single pane windows everywhere. Okay, well, it, someone came up with this idea of you know, double pane windows or, or putting insulation into walls. And, and you know, how, how did they come up with the insulation? Well, they used whatever they had. So back then they might have used newspaper. Oh, wow, you know, someone came up with this idea of you can tear up old blue jeans and put them into walls rather than throwing them into a landfill, right? So it, it just sparked every interest. And I also, I love the fact that development and construction, at least what I do, there is no repetition. Every project is new. Every project has different situations, something to overcome. And I just love that thought process and, and it just, always keeps me on my toes um every day is different different problems arise and you're constantly trying to work out how to yeah overcome. so my teachers here at gilman wouldn't say problems they say opportunities opportunities right? yep, so yep. opportunities arise every day and and look since and i've also been very fortunate since the age of 25 to work for myself yeah um you know we have uh 20 employees and Gosh, I think the company had revenue of, of like $60 million last year, which, um, which we're really proud of. Um, and I also have to give a lot of credit to some of my interest in the green construction to my wife. Um, my wife started the Habitat for Humanity chapter at our college. Um, and so she's always been much more socially conscious than I have been. And I can remember us driving around somewhere and she goes, you know, the difference between you and me, you look at a piece of land and think how many houses can go on there. And I think about what a beautiful parkland it would be. So I had to find something in the middle for so that the two, so we wouldn't be in conflict um, all the time. But um, yeah, it's given me, this career has given me wonderful opportunities um, to meet interesting people. I still go to the job sites. I still love talking to all the people um, and it's also given me a tremendous amount of freedom to get to be a part of Carter and his younger brother Mason's life, um, which I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. I mean, you know, to get to come to his first grade um, presidential speech to now his chance to be on the path to follow. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's just, I just can't tell you how awesome it is. And so I'm very thankful that my career has given me, you know, these opportunities. Awesome. Um, que one question for you. So Carter now is going to be graduating, leaving home, leaving the nest, going off to college. And, and my mom gave me some good advice at, at this time, uh, actually when I graduated college. But what what is maybe one or two pieces of advice having such a 
successful career yourself and you know being being who you are is there anything that you would tell carter before he goes off into the next chapter anything that comes to mind yeah so one of them i think carter's heard me say my dad gave me one that relates here to gilman so two bits of advice um one is graduation day take a look around the room and half those guys you're never going to see again and it's and it's sad but on the other hand when you do see one of those guys again this experience that you've had at gilman will instantly reunite you. And Carter knows I, I have a classmate I spoke to last week, had not spoken to since graduation day. And hour later, you know, we're still sitting there laughing, talking about this and that situation and this that happened our sophomore year. And I mean, it, it's just you've, you've really had your first experience of being, I don't want to say fraternity, in a brotherhood. And, you know, these guys that you've been with, especially since you've been here 12 years, they'll, they'll be with you for a long time. And it, and it really is a very special place in that way. Um, I know my father, you know, his boys Latin classmates, they actually, my father passed uh, almost two years ago and his group of classmates, guys are in his year, um, they have a lunch once a month. And even before he passed, they named it the Spawn Lunch. And they had shirts made up uh, of course, it's buttoned down Oxford's because of their age, and it has spawn on the cuff. They all had spawn on the cuff, so it's really you know these friendships that you're going to keep for a long time. But I think the most important one, advice that I'd give to Carter, um, is is not to rush. That, that there's there's plenty of time ahead of you, and you know we all. Carter, Carter and I had this, I spoke to him um, back in September, like, this is your last year that mom and dad are going to make you lunch and dinner every day <laughs> and do your laundry and the dog's going to jump on your bed. I mean, you know, I mean, look at Mr. Scott. Now he's got to go to the grocery store himself. You know, he's got, he's got a, I heard on one of the podcasts, you know, you're sharing the Netflix account with your sister because you don't want to spend the, the $9.99 a month, right? So, you, so you, there's, fortunately for Carter, he comes from uh, a family with some pretty good genetics. He's going to live a long life. Um, and so don't rush. Just take your time and enjoy, enjoy all of it as, as it comes to you. Um, and... Um, I think that's those are the two bits of advice. Love it, yeah. love it. It com comes right back to our meditation conversation at the beginning. Just no rush, yeah. Yeah. right? I think that's great. Um, do want to talk about your guys' books that you brought in, right, Carter? You you have a couple yeah, books there we, that we do. I have a special one for <laughs> us here. Awesome. This is my go-to book. It, it's the uh, it's the Giving Tree. Um, for whenever anyone asks me of uh, a book that is. Um, you know, left an impact on you, uh, specifically because it's an easy answer, um, but also because it genuinely has. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the story of, yeah, I don't to complicatedly explain a child's story. <laughs> um, uh, the story of, uh, you know, uh, a, a tree that, you know, gives everything to, to this kid and the, the kid keeps asking for more and more and it, um, you know, no matter what it is, like the tree will do uh, its best to um, give it what it has. Uh, and, and I think that 
Um, there's a couple morals in it, um, specifically, you know, not taking advantage of a relationship. Um, uh, specifically, you know, you don't know like what's super important to you until you know the uh, the tree had nothing else more to give. Um, that type of thing. It, it's something that is definitely left an impact on me. Um, it's something that if if anyone ever asks me about you know a book they should reread, I kind of jokingly, but but also kind of seriously um, talk about this book. Uh, I originally didn't like it actually, because um, the, uh, the the person on, on the back, I don't know if the camera can see its face, it used to scare me as a child. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. It was like a genuinely, like, this is not the face of someone you want around your children. Um, so, I mean, like, 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 whose decision was it to put this on the back of the book? Um, but, but yeah, I think now that yeah. uh, he doesn't look like a scary monster to me, it, it's something that I, I go back to frequently. Yeah, how about a how about a smile there, Shell? Yeah, come like, on. Um, you want to show that <laughs> he's not even smiling; he's just kind of like snarling. He's like, yeah. <laughs> but it is it is a very profound, deep book, especially yeah. for I think a lot of children's books are, but that one yeah. in particular is very. The message is clear, and it's um, I can see why you chose that. So that's a that's a great pick, Giving Tree. What else do we have here? So I, I've got two books. Um, so one is the biography of Jim Rouse. Um, and Jim Rouse um, is just this incredible developer um, who's from right around here, right around campus. His kids went to school here. Um, in fact, one of his grandsons, Jimbo Norton, uh, grew up around the corner from me in Columbia. And uh, when I came to visit the school, um, Jimbo hosted me for the day. And I remember when the decision came, Jimbo was the only person I knew at Gilman because I had just found out the name of the school. I mean, again, didn't know it existed. And I was so excited. I was like, well, you know, I'll know Jimbo and he'll be a sophomore and I'll be a freshman and he'll, he'll look out for me. And then uh, in August, um, Jimbo, Jimbo came over to the house and he said, you know, I decided not to go back to Gilman. And so my, my, my first day of summer workouts my dad dropped me off at the corner of Roland and Northern said the gym's over there and that was like I walked on campus knowing nobody but 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 Jim Rouse and Jim Rouse created this community of Columbia Maryland where I hadn't read the book in a couple years and and I flipped open just by by chance to the exact page that I love reading about which was his whole philosophy of trying to develop a community based around love and, and how do we make it so that people of all different races, religions, socioeconomic backgrounds all live as one and and that was his whole philosophy um, around the creation of Columbia and so now years later that I've I lived in that community in fact I was the eighth baby born at that Howard County General Hospital my parents were one of the first thousand families to move into Columbia. Um, as a developer now, uh, I just take such inspiration from everything um, that he did and just what a, what a just a, a beautiful place to have grown up. Um, I'm very lucky to, to have grown up there. And then the other one that I brought um, was, was my, a yearbook um, from when I studied abroad for a year. Um, I, I got I was very fortunate to um, to go away uh, my junior year, entire junior year of college, to London, England, 
and um, growing up, my 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 mother was a school teacher, my father was an attorney, um, and they would spend anything that I ever needed for education. It, there there was no bank account. It was open check. Everything else was, you know, lived on uh, well within our means. Um, so, you know, we lived in a very modest middle class home. Our trips were to Ocean City, Maryland, um, or go see family, you know, somewhere. So when my parents gave me the opportunity to go abroad for a year, um, it was my first, well, actually my second time ever being um, overseas. I went as a junior at Gilman, uh, I got to go to Israel um, for a week with a couple of my Gilman classmates. But to spend an entire year in a foreign country and to really see just how big the world is. And, you know, here I'm, I'm a junior coming from a little town in Virginia, Lexington, Virginia, where Washington Lee was, and I'm in class with a kid from uh, you know, somewhere in Berlin, Germany, who's just finished his mandatory military service, um, or I'm in class with a with a, a student from the UAE, and just just to get to see how how broad and beautiful the world is, um, it was really uh, a wonderful opportunity for me. So, so my yearbook for my my year abroad. Awesome! Sounds like a great experience traveling. I mean, that's one thing that I would tend to agree with if you can if you can do it. I mean, you learn you learn a ton about the world. Yeah, we've we've been very fortunate. Um, while Carter and and his brother have been school age, um, we did two things. Once Carter turned 11, right? Every year for his birthday rather than a birthday party, he picked a city in America to travel to. And then starting in third or fourth grade is when we started going abroad, I guess to Jamaica. So I went first. Yeah, so we would do a winter trip that would be an educational trip. Like we would go somewhere in Europe and as much as, you know, Carter and Mason hated getting up at 7 a.m. so we could catch, you know, the bus to this tour. I mean, it was, we we got to travel all over Europe and it, and it was, you know, Carter's seen things in museums that I wish you know, I had seen as a child, and 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 it was awesome to see. Like when we first saw Monet's water lilies, for him to go and his brother go, I'm like, oh wow, we've studied this before, and now they see it in person, and and all of those cool things. So we've we've always done a winter trip that's been you know some sort of historical um, tour of a European city, and then our spring breaks have usually been to warm weather but also service, some sort of service day. So we did Jamaica for a number of years um, and we spent our first couple years, we'd volunteer at an elementary school. We'd bring in school supplies that were donated from local schools. And then I think the most fun ones were the last, the last couple years of Jamaica, um, Carter and uh, his brother and, and other friends, they volunteered at an orphanage and they would go and collect all these tennis clothes and tennis rackets and everything and we bring them to an orphanage in Jamaica and, and Carter out there playing barefoot tennis mm -hmm. with, all, with all the other kids and um, uh, so we so we've they've traveled we've gotten a chance to travel a lot see a lot of the world 
Um, and I think, uh, you know, give a lot of credit to Carter's mom, Francie, for, for doing it the right way, really. Sounds like it, yeah. yeah. The educational part is huge. And that's one thing about the trips here at Gilman. I was supposed to go with, with Coach Hudson. Kevin Hudson does a trip to Europe over the summer with some Gilman guys. Uh, um, I think it's two weeks maybe, but he has the whole thing planned out with this similar like 7 a.m. bus ride, all educational. We learn all about it before we go. I think that's that makes the trip is if you know exactly what you're looking at. If you go and you're just looking, it's it's cool, Yeah. but if you know the history, that's – that's well, the I think Carter really got to know the culinary uh, of each city oh, more than anything true. else. Yeah. He was he was very experimental in, in trying out all the different foods. <laughs> so Carter, maybe last question here before we, we wrap up the episode. <clears throat> when you look back on your experience at Gilman, what and you're almost you got a couple more months left here in school. And then you're going to be moving on. It goes goes fast, I would say. I, I completely agree with your dad's advice. Don't rush. Um, what what do you think you're going to miss the most about Gilman? Oh, man. Um, I, I mean... Not the 8 a.m. classes. No, no, not the 8 a.m. College, he's definitely scheduled <laughs> afternoon classes. <laughs> the 8 a.m. Zooms. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely not those. Uh, I, I would say probably, you know, the opportunities um, and, and the people that I've been able to meet coming out of Gilman um, and, and throughout my time here. Uh, I think that Gilman has a really amazing and extensive alumni network. Um, and I've definitely met um, and maybe in the future have the chance to meet so many incredible people um, just because of the relationship with the school. And, and so, you know, that sense of uh, you know, longevity in the community, I, I think speaks volumes to the bond that is created uh, uh, spending, you know, time at this place. Um, and so I think that's what I'll miss the most. Yeah. Yeah, the bonds for sure. Exactly what your dad said earlier is that you might not see some of some of the guys you graduate for, for a bunch of years, but yeah. when you do, it's like you're picking right back up where you left off. So, um Looking forward to seeing you when you come back and keeping in touch with you and your dad. And, and I really appreciate you guys coming on today. It was a lot of fun, and we, we touched on some awesome uh, conversational topics here. Yeah, I really appreciate it because, you know, this recording, unlike if I had had this conversation with my father, I mean, this, this is going to be in the stratosphere forever, right? So I was telling Carter when we were coming over, I was so excited that you invited us to do this because it's also it's a memory that he and I are going to get to share um, forever and ever. So um, I appreciate you having us on. I appreciate you letting me come on. Uh, <laughs> that was really awesome of you because I know this is your 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 path to follow episode. But um, Jake, thank you you know for having us and and I hope you continue this. I I've really enjoyed getting to know the people that you've interviewed. Um, I hope one of these days they get to turn it around and you get to be the interviewee um, so we can learn a little bit more about you. But uh, this, is, this has been really, really uh, memorable, and thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I know we both really appreciate it. So. Absolutely. It's, it's a relic. It will be in the, the files of history here at Gilman. So <laughs> yeah. thank you guys very much, and um, we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.